and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Appreciate you being here. You can win tickets to see the Dave Matthews Band playing at Auction Pavilion on September 14th. Just head to the contest page at KTAR.com for complete details and your chance to win. Uh, we talked about the economy earlier, and we started off by talking about price controls possibly on Russian oil. But the problem being that the OPEC nations are going to roll back. They are rolling back in October by 100,000 barrels per day the production of oil, which is going to drive prices back up. At least to some degree. We don't know how high, but at least to some degree. And uh, there is another story that sits side by side with it from the Wall Street Journal that talks about how we have now got the oil leases down to a trickle under the Biden administration. When you mix, in my opinion, when you mix the two, the restrictions of of uh, profit, you know, the the uh, drilling for oil and the production, I shouldn't say profit, production of oil, and you also then overregulate, you are going to increase costs and decrease the ability to produce enough. So we don't have control like we did before of being energy independent if we needed to. That at maximum capacity, especially look at the high diesel prices. The high diesel prices right now are are a production issue. It is a refining and production and delivery issue. It isn't an oil issue anymore. As the oil prices have dropped and we've seen gas prices drop down below five bucks a gallon and in some places here in Arizona under four bucks a gallon, we are still seeing very high diesel prices. That is the production side of this. And that is where the U.S. investment by oil companies in the refining and production side of things are not where they need to be because there is no long-term goal. As a matter of fact, the long-term goal from this administration is stopping the oil industry from existing altogether. You know, you're talking about no gas-powered vehicles in the state of California by 2035. Uh, Come on. What do you think the oil industry is going to do? So that we started there. But um, let's go to another area of this, another Wall Street Journal story. Biden's student debt forgiveness plan may cost up to $1 trillion. It hasn't been implemented yet. There are going to be lawsuits in this. But can you imagine adding a trillion dollars in spending? Now, all of the shell game that the Biden administration is playing is saying, but we're saving so much money over here. We're saving money in the deficit spending. Um, I will tell you, I don't like to see students struggling with debt. But when you look at the two topics I just gave you, the oil companies, there is a guy I've talked about him before named Fetterman who is running for the Senate in Pennsylvania. And uh, if elected, he said he wants to hunt down and arrest the uh, presidents and CEOs of oil companies and food producers for profiteering and profit taking, that they are getting too much money, that they are profiteering. They are gouging the American public and he wants them arrested. But what about what it costs to go to school? Why are we not screaming for the reduction in school costs? Why is it that what we're going to do is subsidize those costs by forgiving student loans through government, you know, forgiving student loan debt through government loans? How do we do that? How do we reconcile the two? On one hand, we're saying, and we do subsidize food. We do subsidize in this country. There are people that get food subsidies. There is a huge issue right now with uh, the public school system feeding lunches and breakfast to, to kids. 
And there is some subsidies from the government, but the government has been screaming that the food industry, the food growers and manufacturers, those major companies, and they even went after the retailers and the gasoline sector for a while, that they are making too much money and they should lower their prices. Why don't we look at the huge expense that college has become? And the return on investment. Now, there are some areas where that return on investment is still very good in the medical world, especially if you're going to be a lawyer, uh, even to some degree um, in, in some business management schools or depending on where you go. But there are some degrees that the return on investment isn't close to uh, to being good enough to make it a wise investment to go to college. When you look at how expensive it has become. For the average student to get a college education, why are we not screaming and screaming at universities and saying you should be ashamed of yourself for what you're – so uh, now go a step further. We hear about how much money corporations pay their CEOs or their boards of directors or whoever they are. These executives in these companies make the lion's share of the money. Um, I think that Dr. Crow has done an amazing job with ASU over the years. I personally think he earns his money, but he makes a lot of money. When you look at what some professors are making, huge amounts of money and tenured professors, uh, when you look at people like um, um, Elizabeth Warren, uh, when you look at people that are, are, are being paid huge amounts of money, who was it? The, I think it was former Mayor de Blasio is getting an obscene amount of money to teach classes at a college. So then you say, wait a minute, how do you drive down costs if you're paying these obscene wages to people? The same argument in the private sector when you talk about executives of oil companies or executives of food companies um, or you talk about what would be executives of colleges, why are we not screaming at them to drive down their wages, to drive down what they're spending? Why is that not a conversation? Instead, the American taxpayer may be on the hook for a trillion dollars in student loan relief. And to the students that are getting relief on their student loans, I want you to pay very close attention to this. You may have... $10,000 or $20,000 of your student loans relieved in this program, but you will pay for the rest of your life a higher premium or a higher price in taxation to pay for the student loan debt to be forgiven in the future. They're saying this is a one-off, but how do you do it as a one-off? How do you do this as a one-time thing? You know, the, the conversations about what do we say to the people that paid off their student loans? What do you say to people like me that's never gone to college and now I am part of the tax base that's going to pay for it? And especially in the world that I've come from, I know a lot of people that have gone to the Small Business Administration and taken out SBA loans to expand their business or to start their business so that they can be productive members of society and hire people and create jobs and create products. Um, why are they now not on the list of things to be forgiven? And instead of it just looking at it that way, why not compare it to what you're saying with profiteering? Would you say that some colleges are profiteering? If you're a parent, I don't care what political leanings you have. Would you say that in Arizona, it has become massively expensive to send even an in-state student to college in Arizona? And the increase in costs have skyrocketed in the last few years. Is there any reason for that? Shouldn't they be reducing the cost so that not just lower income students can find a way to go to school with the grants that are available? But what about middle class families? 
What about middle, like my family growing up completely working class. My brother was the first person in our family to graduate from college. The first one. And I'm proud of him for that. But now his children have an expectation that they will go to college. And it's, it, it's raised the level of thinking in their home. But the expense, the sheer expense of a college education is driving them away from it. My middle niece is going to a community college for a couple of years before she goes to a university. How is she going to pay for it? She has no idea. These are real problems for families. So if you're going to go after executives in oil corporations or food manufacturers, food growers, why are we not taking the same approach when it comes to educators? At the, you know, you know, especially in the universities that are supposed to be here in Arizona, the land grant universities are supposed to be as close to free for in-state students as possible. Does anybody believe that that's where it is? Because that as possible phrase is very obviously has got a broad uh, interpretation. Um, in a moment, we're going to talk about midterm elections because they're beefing up security. We're going to talk about debates, um, and we're also going to talk about what the angles are in the different political parties across the country and what they're running on. We'll talk about all of that next. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, thanks for being here. I want to talk about elections and and what we should be focused on versus what we are focusing on in some places. Um, In Georgia, there is a, a criminal charges pending against what they call election deniers and the way it's been handled. Um, there's some video that's out, and we're going to talk about that possibly in a moment. Um, but there are a couple of things that are we should know about. This is a story. One of them, uh, this is from uh, KTAR.com. Griselda Satino put this together. Newly naturalized citizens in Arizona could sway the November midterm elections. Um, uh, people running for an office have to talk where people need to be spoken to, where they want to be spoken to about the issues that matter to them. Um, so here is where we are. Uh, cameras, plexiglass, fireproofing election officials beef up security. In Wisconsin, one of the nation's key swing states, cameras and plexiglass now fortify the reception area of the county elections office in Madison. In another bellwether area, Maricopa County, Arizona, where beleaguered election workers had to be escorted through a scrum of election deniers to reach their cars in 2020. A security fence was added to protect the perimeter of a vote tabulation center. And they talk about Colorado. Um, we all want fair elections. We all want – we definitely want all of those things. But now I want to talk about some issues, some key issues of what's happening. And you know where my political spectrum is. I mean, you know where my political views are. Uh, progressives set their sight on scrapping the filibusters. Midterm prospects improve. Now, if this next headline isn't a an incentive for Republican voters to turn out en masse across the country, nothing will be. Pelosi seeks ambassadorship to Italy if the GOP wins the House majority in the midterms. So not only would she not be the Speaker of the House anymore, she wouldn't be in the House at all. If that doesn't make you want to route and register your friends to vote and get out there and take care of business, I don't know what does from a Republican perspective. But there are issues, the economy and what we're doing, the idea that we're going to spend a trillion dollars on student loan forgiveness, the idea that instead of spending money on um, 
are securing the border with more border patrol agents or CBP or or ICE agents that we're going to spend money on 87,000 new armed IRS agents that, you know, what they're going to look into, it's not just going to be rich people, but they are going to be looking into other things. If you uh, if you are someone that works in the service industry and they may be going after you to make sure you're reporting your tips, if you're a rideshare driver, if you're all of these other small entrepreneurial things, small businesses, uh, it's all going to be affected by this. And this isn't a Republican or a Democrat issue. The issues I just mentioned, I don't think are. I think for most Americans, it's an issue. And I don't know of anybody that it doesn't fear the IRS. 87,000 new agents. Do we need that? Do we need to inflate that organization as much as we are? And then the scare tactic that says, well, there are all of these businesses that aren't paying anything in taxes. No one said they did it illegally. And instead of revamping the tax laws, this is where we're going. So if we're talking about issues, and I think we should be, if we are talking about the issues that affect, and this is coming again from a totally Republican point of view, which is the only one I have. Um, and I can respect people on the other side, even though I disagree with them. But from my point of view, at a time when the approval rating with independent voters of this president are as low as we've ever seen for a president – that the Republicans aren't going to have a cakewalk in winning seats so that there is an offset in the United States Congress versus the plan that this president has. It's because we're not talking about the issues that people want to talk about. We are not showing them the concern that we have for the issues that are important to them. The economy, the border, education, um, health care. Instead, we are still fighting over the 2020 election. And so what we have, and not everybody, I would even say necessarily a majority, is we still have people pointing a finger at how the election was run and saying that they're still going to cheat. And my problem with that is this. What happens if you win? I mean that sincerely. What happens if you win? If you're a Republican candidate, there are six statewide races in Arizona, six statewide races, and uh, five of them for in-state offices, one for the Senate seat that Mark Kelly currently holds. What if the Republicans win, let's say, five out of six of those races? Are you going to have then, are you going to say when the Democrats say, well, you're the one that said there was cheating, so we don't want to validate this election. We don't want to certify this election until we go through the steps that you demanded we go through before, every single one of them. We want hand counts. We want recounts. We want audits. We want all of these other things. Could it not come back and backfire against the Republicans that are saying not only was 2020 a sham election, but they haven't fixed it, and this one could be just as bad? And that's what has to be avoided. I just think that you have got such an opportunity as Republican candidates to talk about issues that are important to American people and convince them that you are better at this than your opponent at getting that job done. And instead of doing that, we are talking about an election that's over. And we just got to we have to move forward. In a moment, we are going to shift back to the horrible stabbing that happened in Casa Grande, Arizona, and the one that happened in Saskatchewan in Canada. And we're going to talk about violence, and we're going to talk about mental illness, and we're going to talk about how we get to people and we help them and intervene before these horrible things happen. We'll do all of it next.
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks again for joining the show. Uh, horrific stories uh, this weekend. Las Vegas reporter found dead, stabbed to death outside his home. Newspaper executives weren't aware of the threat against Jeff German, 69, before his death, but he was ambushed and murdered um, this weekend with a knife. Casa Grande man arrested on suspicion of killing four family members. Um, Richard Wilson is, is uh, 21 years old in connection with the murders of his two parents, um, 47-year-old Richard and 50-year-old Ellen, his sister, 16-year-old Ruby Wilson, and his niece, 5-year-old Renaya White. Um, Deputies got to home. They found Wilson and discovered the four others were dead. They booked him into the Pinal County Jail in four counts of first-degree murder, being held on $2.5 million bond. And then in Saskatchewan, there was a bunch of random people that were murdered at the hands of two people. They were knifed to death uh, all day on Sunday. Talking about this, the easy road for me, because I'm such a Second Amendment advocate, is see knives are just as dangerous and 10 people dead or 10 people dead. And I went down the road, a different road this morning, and I want to continue down that road a little bit. Um, My advocacy for the Second Amendment is in two different places. But the most important of the two for me is that we are not solving the problem by just going after the tool that is used. And I've said this over and over and over again, and it's such a passionate topic for people on both sides. There is no resolution to what I bring up, and we're going to have to face it sooner rather than later. And that is for whatever reason, and that we have to figure out first. We are seeing more and more mostly young men that are becoming graphically violent and and, and more violent than we've seen in a long, long time. Um, Is it isolation? Probably part of it. Uh, The depression that sets in from isolation, but also the disconnect from people. Um, It's not just violent video games. I mean, that's such an easy thing to say, but my, my nephew plays violent video games. My friends play violent video games. They would never hurt a soul. Um, They, they know the difference. But the lack of human interaction, the, the the ability to distance yourself that, you know, what you see from most of us, what you see on social media is not our real life. There are some people you look on social media, admit it. There are people that post things on social media and you think, why would you tell the world that? Why would you post that on social media? And there are other people that you see their pictures are so filtered and you say, I know what you look like. And you don't even look like that. That's not even you. So you can be anyone you want to be. And when you get on Twitter, you can make up an account that doesn't have to be your real name. And you can say the most horrible things to people. You can be whoever you want to be. And what we've done is we've lost the humanity and everything about us when it comes to this disconnect in our society. And that's the part of this that gets me more than anything else is – that we've got to get back to a human connection, that human life has to matter more. You know, I, I'm not always good at it, and I'm not, I'm not trying to preach a sermon, but for people that are on op, the opposite side of the political aisle for me, when I'm having a political discussion, I don't want to dehumanize that person. I don't want to start calling them names. Um, 
And I, it just happens to me. It happens to everybody. When you, you, you don't care, you don't know, you are um, uh, crazy, you are a tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorist, you're a subversive, you're trying to destroy the country. Um, and I'm, this comes from both sides of the political aisle, by the way. It's not just one side. And we see this over and over and over again. We've stopped calling people wrong, and we call them evil. You know, you look at the the politics, and my first real look into it and how sinister it was was during the 04 election cycle when President Bush, when when W was running for re-election, and I had jumped on board as a volunteer uh, with their with their veterans coalition. And I'm not a veteran, but you know the story about my brother being killed in Iraq. And so I traveled not just around the state of Arizona, but I traveled around the country speaking at events on behalf of the president. And I saw the most horrific treatment by people that knew that they were talking to the parents of fallen troops. And I was a sibling, but there were many of the people I traveled with that were parents. And when they were on the opposite side of the anti-war movement, the face of the anti-war movement was a woman named Cindy Sheehan. And as a group, we left her alone because she was a grieving mother, just like many of the grieving parents in our group. So we didn't go after her politically or personally. We went after the movement and said we didn't agree with it. We did not go after her personally. And she attacked parents personally. And that's when I walked away and decided I'm done with this organization because I respected their rules. But when Cindy Sheehan said, any parent that supports the war effort is a murder and mayhem mother. She was now talking about my mother who suffered the same horrible grief that she did. And how dare she say that about my mom? But I watched the anti-war movement say and do the most vile and vulgar things to anybody that disagreed with them. And I'm sure it had been going on for a much longer time than that. And I'm sure it happens on both sides of the aisle. But that kind of treatment of each other But how do you get to a place where they're no longer human at all? And that's what we've seen. We are seeing – and I I, I still – I maintain this. I'm not a a, a, a psychologist. I probably need to see one a little more often. But um, I would have to imagine that there's a basis for this. In psychology, and I don't know what what it would be called, but when people are in that situation, they're going to act. They're either going to act out or they're going to act in. Sometimes it's self-destructive, whether it's drugs and alcohol or if they're cutting themselves or attempting suicide, that's acting in. And sometimes they lash out. And that anger and that disconnect – How do you, and most of us can't get there, how do you get to a place where you can just go door to door in a neighborhood and stab indiscriminately, just have people open their doors and begin to attack them and stab them to death where 10 people died and 15 people were injured? More so, how do you get to a place as a 21-year-old young man to have enough rage and disconnect inside of you where you would lash out and stab to death your parents, your sister, and your niece? And instead of us, and I'm so glad that this isn't focused on, well, this is a knife this time and it could have been a gun. And if it was a gun, what would have been said? Instead of focusing on the weapon that this person used, why don't we focus on the rage that they have and figure out how do we catch this early? What do we need to be better at to catch this early? That's where we should be consumed. How do we see this in young people when they're much younger before it manifests itself in violence and rage and help? And I hope that this is a step in that direction. 
coming up in just a couple of moments, I want to touch on it because a special master has been named or is going to be named. But there will be a special master in the Trump um, uh, case at Mar-a-Lago. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Still, a big controversial topic was the uh, the search warrant or raid, depending on which side of the aisle you're on on this one, of President Trump's home, former President Trump in Mar-a-Lago. President making some statements uh, about what happened, and uh, now a judge is going to appoint a special master to review the documents and has stopped the FBI from continuing the uh, going through those documents until a special master is put in place. I think this is a good idea if both sides can come to an agreement on who that special master should be. Again, um, we should learn our lessons. Uh, we should learn our lesson from the way the investigations into Donald Trump for four years were done by Nancy Pelosi, by Adam Schiff, and by Jerry Nadler. Uh, it was definitely a partisan investigation. There was one-sided and slanted. There, I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind about that. You may think it was okay because you believe he's guilty, but there's no way you can think that it was impartial. Just like in Arizona when we did our audit. The state Senate hired the Cyber Ninjas, a company that already believed the election was stolen. It was partisan. It was one-sided. And nobody was going to see anything any different no matter what they found. We should learn our lessons from those things. And as Americans, as all of us, as passionate as these issues are, there should be someone appointed. Here in Arizona, at the end of everything, when the county and the state could not come to an agreement on certain things, a special master was appointed. And his name is John Shattig. John Shattig is a former member of Congress. He is a very, very, very reputable attorney here in town. He's got a great reputation both in the political world and the legal world. He agreed to take on that task. And a team of people went, got together to look at some of the accusations, and they brought their findings out to people. It didn't change everybody's mind, but it was a much more fair look at some of the things in Maricopa County than I believe we had with the cyber ninjas. The same kind of approach should be taken here. This is something very serious. It's the first time ever, the first time ever that this a search warrant has been served on the home of a former president. If you listen to President Trump's camp, they're saying, you know, it's old magazine articles and things of that nature and stuff that I was going to put in my library. That's what this is. This is nothing more than them putting on a political show so that it discourages me from running for president again. And on the other side, they'll say these are classified documents. We had been in talks with his lawyers for a long time. We had made requests, and they did heed our request back in June, but they aren't heeding our requests anymore. And we believe that there's a national security risk here. So we exhausted all other ways of trying to deal with this, and we went this route because we didn't think we needed to, we could do anything else. And so – which side do you believe? And I'm, I've, I've said before, I don't know that the president didn't do something wrong. But I also don't trust that it, there wasn't a huge political motivation to this. So until I hear answers from a from a neutral source that lays everything out, the Mueller report, the Mueller report didn't give everybody or anybody really what they wanted. The Mueller report was pretty clear that there was no evidence of collusion with the Russians. And then it kind of went away. There were some people that said, but it was, there was damning evidence. In, in the end, there was no evidence that the Trump campaign or any American, according to the Mueller report, colluded with Russia to steal the election. There are still those that say it, 
but there was a there was a time when the report was done. Some people loved parts of the report. Other people hated that same part of the report. But it was done in a way that didn't look like it was the Democrats, which Nancy Pelosi, Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler. It looked like this was a different set of eyes looking at things. When you have something this serious happening in our country, let's look at it. And for those people out there that believe that uh, Donald Trump did something wrong, that he had documents he shouldn't have had, that he was playing fast and loose with classified national security documents, then you'll get your answer. There will be an answer that comes out. And for the people that believe that President Trump didn't do anything wrong, that this was nothing more than political theater to try to discourage him and also try to affect the midterms with the candidates he supported, you'll get your answer as well. And this is where um, we as Americans have to start looking at right and wrong and not always looking at right and left. And, you know, I'm, you're going to get criticized. I'm going to get criticized from people on my side of the aisle because I'm not all in and believing that Trump is completely innocent. And that um, that this isn't just political theater. And I'm always going to get criticism from the other side of the aisle that no matter how I say this and walk this line, that I'm covering and I know that this was illegal. But those are just those voices are not what is all voices. Those voices are just loud. And I just want what's right for this country. And I want to move on from 2020. I want to move on in the right direction for the nation more than anything else. This is not about an individual running for office or not running for office or having an office. This is about our country and moving in the right direction. What takes us there? That's the question. We've got a border crisis and the mayor of Chicago is saying that she is going to question the faith of the governor of Texas. We'll talk about that next.